Three months we have been going through a series on the attributes of God. And you may, you may be coming this morning and you haven't attended in the last three months. And you may come this morning uh, having attended in the last three months. And there may be like an anticipation or expectation. This is Easter Sunday, so there's going to be a, a nice, well-packaged, maybe out-of-the-ordinary thing, program, presentation or something that we're going to do this morning. And I just want to let you know ahead of time, um, there's, there's not... Um, <laughs> We're going to stick with this series on the attributes of God uh, because um, on Easter, as we are concluding this series, this is the last Sunday in the series on the attributes of God, there's, there is no Easter without all of these attributes. There's no happy morning this morning if all of these things are not true about God. And so as we are here this morning, we're going to conclude and culminate our series on the attributes of God this Easter by focusing on the fullest expression the world has ever seen of God's attributes through through grace and wrath. Now, if you've been here uh, the last couple of Sundays, this is the third Sunday in a row that we have looked at two attributes that we might as humans um, hold in contrast to one another. We may look at them and say, well, these, these two attributes just aren't compatible. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at God's jealousy and his peace. And the truth is, in us as humans, we are broken, sinful people. Those two things aren't compatible. When we are jealous, we're not at peace. And last week, we looked at God's justice and his mercy. How can it be that God would be perfectly holy in his justice and at the same time, be merciful. And when we consider these two attributes today, God's wrath and God's grace, many may find that they are just incompatible. How can both be true? How can a gracious or loving God be a God of wrath? How could God ever send anyone to hell? But the scriptures are clear, and we rejoice as followers of God, as lovers of Jesus. We rejoice in the truth that he is both a God of wrath and a God of grace. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to look this morning. Ephesians 2, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. And as you get there, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, humbled by your greatness. Even as we consider the attributes that you display project toward us, that you are independent from us. You don't need us in any way for anything, that you are eternal. You are what our minds cannot even comprehend. You are good that you are all-powerful, that you are all-present, that you are all-knowing, that you never change, Lord, that you are truth, that you are a jealous God, and you are a God of peace, that you are a God just and a God merciful, that you are a God who loves And God, that you are a God of wrath who is gracious. Help us, Lord, this morning. Help us to believe the truth about you. Help us to worship you even in our response to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Paul, in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, this is incredibly important for all of us, whether you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, or not. This is incredibly important that we understand this. That we need to know this, that you and I and every single person on this planet and anyone who has ever lived except Jesus, we were born into sin. We were born in sin. We were born sons of Adam. We were born... In transgression, we were born transgressors, born stained with sin, bent towards sin. And just as Paul says there, it's not like we can simply reply to that, well, that's not fair, as if somehow we were born in sin and, and, and could have possibly never sinned. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We delighted in our position. We delighted in our sin nature. We did exactly what we desired to do, which was sin. We walked in sin. 
We participated in sin. And all of us, all of us, even if we want to push against that truth, all of us are aware of it, right? Just get stuck in a room with a seven-month-old and the door closed and watch him look at you as he's doing exactly what you told him not to do. And you're like, you little sinner. (laughs) We know it's true. We resist it. We push against it. We think everyone else but me, but it's, it's true. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were born in sin. We're all sinners. But what does that mean? Well, Paul tells us right there from the beginning, it means death. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We didn't just have an issue. We just didn't have an ailment. We were dead. Separated from God. Spiritually desperate and dead. Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. That was our condition. That was our state. That's who we were. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Walking in them. Delighting in them. Paul says in Ephesians 2 here that we... We all, all of us, were following the course of the world. We were following the devil. And we delighted in it. So all mankind is born in a devastatingly desperate state, which is spiritual death. Verse 3 goes on. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. We were doing exactly what we wanted to do. We were not fighting in some way, wishing we weren't sinners, wishing we weren't doing these things. We delight in them. And we're, Paul says, by nature children of wrath. We carried out the desires of our body and mind. It wasn't as if we had this desire to follow God, but just, we just couldn't do it. We never wanted to. There was no desire there. And therefore, by nature, we're children of wrath, Paul says. Now that is it's a difficult, it's a, that's a tough word. Wrath. And so the first thing we ought to ask is, whose wrath? We're children of whose wrath? And the answer is God. God's wrath. It's God's wrath that is against us. We see throughout the Bible that God is a God of wrath. God's wrath means this. It means he intensely hates sin. It is his fury over sin. We, we want to, as, as people, we want to paint pictures of God that are all smiles and all rocking chair in heaven. And he's got a, a nice beard and kids love to sit on his lap. 
But do we see these pictures of God as being a God of wrath whose, whose fury is against sin? That he hates sin with a righteous hatred. And this is a display of his perfection and beauty. A being who is perfect in holiness and righteousness and justice must exercise wrath against sin, evil, hatred, and injustice. He wouldn't be good if he didn't. You go through the Bible, it's surprising how much the Bible talks about the wrath of God. And so it's undeniable. We cannot read the Bible and say God is not a God of wrath. God is a God of wrath. No verse makes it clearer than Revelation 19, verse 15, which is, which is telling the end of the story, what is to come. And it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And so the condition of man results in God's wrath being poured out. And that is, that's right. That's the right thing for God to do. It's just. It's righteous. It's holy. And at the same time, it is a desperate situation for us. And so, so what hope is there? I mean, there's not, you know, usually we don't get up on Easter morning, and man, you know what I hope? I hope, I hope that we talk about the wrath of God this morning and how terrible I am. Uh, I, don't, I don't get up, you know, thinking those things, right? You know what would be great for Easter? Bum me out, right? Just really, really depress me. So what hope is there? How can we talk about this and, and, and be here on Easter morning to celebrate? How can it be right for God to be angry and pour out his wrath because of sin and we are all sinners? And for there to be any hope at all for mankind? And the answer is grace. Grace. Often we, we tend to try to segregate God's wrath. We want to separate it. And so we will, we'll, think of, we'll think of Old Testament God as being angry God. Right? We know the stories. Those plagues, right? The Red Sea and like waters crashing down on all of those people. The flood. So we want to separate it and segregate it. We think of Old Testament God as being angry God, and then we, there's a 400-year space in between there, and we, we turn the page and we get to the New Testament, and God has God's calmed down. God is, God is a calm God in the New Testament because he had a kid or something, and it just it calmed him down. And so Old Testament, angry God. New Testament, kind, gracious God. The New Testament, as we've 
we've already seen, is full of texts about God's wrath. And so it's not that God's wrath is simply set aside or that he calmed down at some point. It's not that his wrath is set aside. What we learn from the scriptures is his wrath is satisfied in Christ. For those who are hidden in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. We see our condition that we are children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins. But verse 4, but God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Grace, grace, grace. You go back to the beginning of chapter 1 and read. It's just all to the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. And here, you are saved only because God is gracious. Not because you deserve it. Not because you you just somehow put the puzzle together in your head and, and, and you... You somehow figured out how to have faith in him? No, it's not by your works. It's by his grace that this God of wrath is unimaginably gracious. Grace is God's goodness toward those deserving only punishment. Or maybe you've heard it This way, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And that's wonderful and true, but how is it possible in light of his wrath? How does it happen? How can it be? Because if God is perfect and God is just, and and therefore being just has to punish sin, and he is a God of wrath and so... His anger burns against sin. What does he do with that? How is grace applied? How does grace happen? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes this, To wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's the gospel. It's not that God has set aside his wrath or that he has somehow calmed down. It's that Jesus Christ has delivered us, those of us who are in Christ, he has delivered us from the wrath to come. Jesus, the Bible tells us, bore the wrath of God that was due for our sin in order that we might be saved. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now, what does that mean? That Christ was put forward as a propitiation. 
And consider again God's wrath. Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 and through 17 says this, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? What is is it in the end that the people are saying about God's wrath? Concerning his wrath. Who can stand? Who can bear it? Who can stand against this righteous wrath of God? Who can survive it? And the expected answer is no one. No one could bear the wrath of God. But what we learn in the scriptures is there is one. There is one who can. Jesus. Jesus alone could stand against his father's wrath. And he did. He absorbed it. He satisfied it by his death on the cross. That's what propitiation means. Satisfaction. Jesus satisfied God's wrath by embracing it on the cross for the sins of those who would believe in him. That those who would have faith in him, their sins, the wrath for their sins, was satisfied, was put on Christ. And it is to be received, this gift, this act of grace is to be received by faith. That's what Paul's telling us. That we're saved by grace through faith. That salvation, salvation from the wrath of God is completely by the grace of God, that he is the gracious God of wrath. It's not due to our faith. It is all because of his grace. If I believe, it is because he is gracious, not because I'm smart or because I've figured it out. It's because he's gracious And grants faith. And as we believe, if we believe, if we have faith in the work that he has done to deliver us, that Christ died for the sins of those who would trust in him, Paul tells us we're made alive. We were dead and he brings us to life. We're raised up, Paul says. Now this is Easter We come together on Easter to celebrate that Jesus didn't simply die, that he's no longer in the grave, that he was raised from the dead, that he was made alive, never to die again. And that's one of the ways, as we consider Revelation, that's one of the ways he stands against the wrath of God and overcomes it by his resurrection. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every single sin, all of the sins of all of the people who would ever trust in him. All of them laid on Christ. 
You consider 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Where Paul says, do you not know that those who are... And he lists this list of sinners. Let me read it to you. Do you not know that the unrighteous will will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What we know from the Scriptures and from the Gospel is that when Jesus was on the cross, He was counted those things and more. That on the cross, Jesus was treated, He embraced and was credited with and therefore treated as if he were the sexually immoral, an idolater, an adulterer, a man who practiced homosexuality, a thief, greedy, drunkard, reviler, swindler, and every other sin that you have ever committed. That he was treated by God as if he was that. And the fury of God's wrath poured out on him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was credited with the sins of those who would trust in him and, and punished. God's wrath poured out on him for those sins. He was counted a sinner. See, all of us whether we're comfortable with it or not, whether we like it or not, all of us are justly dead in our trespasses. But because of His grace, Jesus Christ is made dead unjustly because of our trespasses. He's counted unrighteous. He's counted a sinner. And He dies And suffers God's wrath for those sins. But he doesn't stay dead. God vindicates him. That's Easter. That's what we celebrate this morning. God raises him from the dead as a proof that he accepted his sacrifice for sins. That he was indeed an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all of those who would trust in him. That it was sufficient. That it was enough. That when Jesus said it is finished, he was right. And for those who do have faith in Jesus, by grace they're made alive, and they, we, are raised with Christ. And therefore, Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The wrath is gone. The wrath is removed. It's been placed on Christ because of grace. But, that doesn't mean that his wrath is fully satisfied. His wrath is satisfied for those who are in Christ. For those who have trusted in Christ, who have faith in Christ. They are those for whom Christ has made propitiation. But there is still wrath that will be poured out. 
God has stored up wrath that will be satisfied through his righteous judgment of sinners, those who are not in Christ Jesus. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 2 Peter 3, verse 7, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. There is wrath that is being stored up against those who have not submitted to Christ, who are not hidden in Christ. We cannot, we cannot disassociate God's grace from God's crucified Son. His grace is attached to Jesus. And apart from Christ, there is no grace. There is no salvation. Only those who come to Jesus in faith, believing that he has made atonement for sin, trusting him and surrendering to him will be forgiven. And by the grace of God have everlasting life. Those who do not will suffer God's wrath for all of eternity. That's what the scriptures teach us. And so this morning I would urge you, if you are here and you do not know Christ, would you consider these attributes of God, of of his wrath and of his grace, that he is a God of grace who would send his son to this earth to live the life that you could never live. We can't live righteous for a single hour. And yet Jesus came and lived his whole life righteous, perfect, holy, sinless. He sent his son to live the righteous life that we could never live and then to die and bear the wrath that we could never bear and treats him as if he had lived the way that we live so that he could treat us as if we have lived the way that Christ lived, that we then are credited with his righteousness. If you don't know him, I would urge you, consider his grace That apart from Christ, there is wrath stored up for all, for all who reject God. But for those who trust in Him, for those who believe in Him, for those who surrender to Him, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is righteousness, there is eternal life. If you would like to pray with someone, the prayer room will be open in just a few moments as we sing. I would encourage you to go there. Michael and Melanie will be there to pray with you if you would, would go. And those of us who are here who are, who are followers of Jesus, those of us in Christ, we're going to take some time to take the Lord's Supper this morning. We take the bread and the cup as a remembrance of what God has done through Christ. That he has made propitiation for sins. We remember that each and every time we take the bread and take the cup. That God's wrath is satisfied. That his grace is lavished on all who believe. And so to prepare our hearts, I want to read again Romans 3, verses 23 through 26. And let's just focus and remember and ready our hearts to partake together. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for Jesus. We confess to you we are only deserving of wrath. That the sins we commit in one day, in one moment, and not only that, who we are, born corrupt in sin, we are only deserving of wrath. It is right It is right for you to judge sin. And yet, what we cannot comprehend is that you are so gracious. What doesn't seem just is that you would forgive. And so we praise you and thank you for Jesus who has willingly, for the joy set before him, endured the cross on our behalf, suffering your wrath for our sins. And so as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, I pray, Father, that you would help us to remember your body and remember your blood that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That your body was broken. And that over all of that, far worse than the pain of of your flesh being torn and your blood being shed, you endured, Jesus, your Father's fury and hatred for our sins. And that we cannot comprehend. So help us as we partake together, Lord. Help us to remember with joy that because because you have stepped forward and taken our place, there is now no condemnation. There is now no wrath. There is now no hatred for us who are in Christ Jesus. That we are forgiven and free forever. So we praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.